0: In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear Christians, in our gospel lesson for this morning, our Lord teaches us a fairly familiar parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's really great because this is one of the few parables in which we have a little bit of commentary at the beginning. St. Luke tells us why Jesus told this parable. He directed it specifically at those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and who, as a result, treated others with contempt. Thus, we're looking at the parable for those who fail to keep the first commandment. Who don't fear, love, and trust in God above all things, but rather they fear love and trust in themselves. They've made themselves God. Or as some would say, they are God withiners. And so we turn to the parable to understand what St. Luke means. Our parable speaks of two different men. First, let us notice how they are the same. Both of them are Israelites. That means in the Old Testament times, their family was given a particular promise. The promise of a Savior who would rescue them from sin, death, and the power of the devil. And they have been taught that promise their entire lives at synagogue by their priests, by their local rabbis. Not only are they both Israelites, they're both at church. They're both in the temple, the place where God gives His gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. The place where sacrifices are carried out for the specific purpose Of forgiving people their sin they're both at church which is important for us to understand because it tells us who Jesus is directing this parable at people who are within the church not those outside the church It's for that reason that we specifically ought to listen, especially close, especially close to what our Lord is teaching us. Two men went up to pray. The first man prayed in an awkward sort of way. He stands up in the middle of the sanctuary. He prays out loud, perhaps even yelling, so that all people can hear him and see him. He's dressed in nice clothes. He looks like a nice sort of gentleman. But listen to the words that he prays. And as you listen, listen to the way that he uses his language. Who's the subject of the verbs that he uses in his prayer? Who is doing the doing when he speaks? Who is his focus upon? Here's his words. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not like extortioners. I'm not like the unjust. I'm not like adulterers. I'm not even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. He begins. That prayer with a comparison to the people around him. He compares himself to the other people gathered together. And what's he say? I'm better than all of these folks. He says, I'm not an extortioner. Did you notice how he said that? He prayed, I'm not this, I'm not that. He says the word, I, so often it's almost as if he's talking to himself. I'm not unjust, he says. I don't treat people unfairly. I give them a fair shake. I'm not an adulterer. I don't look at pornography. I don't sleep around or live together outside of marriage like all those other people. Heck, he concludes, I'm way better than a tax collector. I've got to be in the top tier of members of the congregation. He believes he has earned his own salvation by being a nice guy, a good guy, a friendly guy. He's even bold enough in his prayer to thank God that he's such a nice guy. Thank you, God, for making me so good looking. Thank you, God, for making me so nice. Thank you, God for making me good enough to save myself." That's what he believes. If you were to ask this man, by whose work are you going to heaven, what do you think he would say? By whose work are you saved? He'd say, well, look at all the stuff that I have done. Look at all the items in the church that I have donated. If you asked him who he trusted in, above all other things, he'd answer. The only one you can trust is yourself. Who is this man's God? It is himself. He is a God within her. Compare him with the second man. Contrast the way the second man speaks with the way the first man spoke. The only thing the second man says about himself is this I am a sinner. Those words don't build him up at all. Those words say. He's not as nice a guy as people think. I am a sinner. Rather than listing off all of the good things that he's done, rather than seeing the ways that he's found not to sin, he confesses the truth, what God says about him. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That surely in sin did his mother conceive him. Not that the act that conceived him was sin, but that the moment he was formed within his mother's womb, he already was a guilty, poor, miserable sinner. He confesses that he sinned in thought, in word, and in deed. Maybe he's done the sins the other man says that he had not done. Maybe he's an extortioner. Maybe he's committed adultery. Maybe he's greedy. He's a tax collector after all. He confesses that he's a sinner. And at the same time, he begs God for mercy, for forgiveness, for compassion, for grace and love. God does not owe that to him. The man is well aware of that. But he asks for it all the same. As he confesses his sin and asks for mercy, the very thing that God is eager to give, he beats his chest in frustration at himself. I am a sinner. The good that I want to do, I do not do. The evil that I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Who will save me, this wretch, from this body of sin? Have mercy, O God, upon me, a sinner. Those words are asking God to act. They're asking God to do something. And Jesus tells us that God does just that. He says, out of those two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, it's the tax collector that goes home justified. The Pharisee, the nice man, the church member was not. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God forgives sinners. Luther said, God comes only for sinners. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. God shows mercy on sinners. That's the truth of our faith. God forgives sins. He does so abundantly. He does so by Jesus. Who took your sin upon his own shoulders. And went to the cross to kill it forever. He did it before you even asked him to do so. He did it without any merit or worthiness in yourself. Jesus died for sin, once for all, for the tax collector, for the whole world, for you. Yes, we must talk about you and me. Who are you? What do you trust? What do you fear? What do you love? Will you be in heaven? Will you be saved? If so, why? Is it because you're not like other people who stay home on Sunday mornings? Is it because you've changed the definition of adultery so that you can keep it? Is it because you're a nice person and you smile at the people you pass on the street? Is it because you wave at your neighbors? And you even overlap when you mow the yard to mow a few inches of theirs? Is it because you wear a mask? Is it because you wear the right kind of mask? Is it because you donate to the church? Is it because you've had a successful career and a large 401k? Is it because you volunteer? Is it because you've never cheated on your spouse? Is it because you listen only to Christian radio? Is it because you dress modestly? Is it because you dress in the latest trend? Is it because you've never robbed a bank? Is it because you have a good education? Is it because you work hard? Is it this? Is it that? Will you be saved? If so, why? Dear friends, none of those things are necessarily bad. It's good to work hard, to be friendly and kind, God doesn't care if you wear the nicest clothes or the newest trends. You're free to do so or not to. But you will not be saved by those things. Listen to the language, the verbs that are used. You do this, you do that. Will you be saved because of you? No, not at all. If it was up to you, you would not be justified. You've sinned somewhere sometime, somehow. If you are to save yourself, you must be perfect. And you already, from the moment of your conception, have fallen short. If you trust in yourself, you've made yourself into a false idol, a false god. Repent of that way of thinking it's a lie of the world Will you be in heaven? Yes Why? Because of Jesus You are saved by Jesus You are saved by grace, by mercy, by what God has done on your behalf. That means you acknowledge the truth, just as we did at the beginning of service. We have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We don't deserve salvation, but we beg God's mercy. We've done evil in the sight of God. We are, as we confess, poor miserable sinners. I am. You are. We all are. And so we beg for mercy. Bloody mercy. Cross mercy. Jesus mercy. Don't abandon us to the grave, dear God. Don't leave us to die. And God answers by sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our flesh to die the death we deserve, to suffer this world and its sin, to be arrested and accused of what you've done wrong, and to die for it. Beaten to a pulp nailed to a cross. That's the picture of God's mercy to you. That's why you'll be in heaven. St. Paul tries to get this picture across in the epistle lesson. He says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your works so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, the crucified one for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're saved by God's mercy, by God's grace, by God's kindness, by God's love. Because of Jesus, you will be in heaven. As for now, you are god's workmanship and as that you are free free to live a life not under compulsion but under love to show mercy on the people around you as god has first shown mercy to you to do what is right not because you are forced but instead because you are saved to be a christian even if the world hates you for it because this world and life is temporary. The life that is to come in Jesus is eternal. Who are you? You are a sinner. It is true. Be a sinner. Confess the truth. For it is to sinners that God has sent Jesus. It is sinners who have received God's mercy. You are a sinner saved by grace through Jesus Christ and set free to be a Christian. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.